This is Sam. This is Paul. And this is Fight Study. A note to our loyal listeners. If you love the show, please support us and help us get paid for our labor by joining Team Southpaw on Patreon. By becoming a member, you'll get access to bonus content like exclusive articles, fight previews, bonus episodes, transcripts of fight studies, and access to our private chat group on Discord. But more importantly, you'll help us supplement the cost of the show, the incredible time and energy Sam and I put into making the show, and you'll be giving us some breathing room not only to juggle Southpaw with our day jobs, but also expand Southpaw into other areas. Show your Southpaw solidarity by supporting us at patreon.com slash southpawpod. Despite the recent pandemic, the UFC soldiered on and proceeded with UFC Fight Night 170, Kevin Lee versus Charles Oliveira. Oliveira submitted Lee in the third round with a guillotine choke, showing that he should definitely be ranked in the top 10, and the title shot isn't too far behind. Before we get into the fight, there's tons to talk about leading up to this event. This also marked the first time a live UFC event would take place behind closed doors, an unprecedented move that we'll actually see more of in the near future. The reason this took place without a live audience is due to the governor of the federal district, where Brasilia, Brazil is located, declared that large gatherings will be suspended for five days, which coincided with the UFC card. The planned media day and public weigh-ins were canceled, but the fights themselves still took place. Dana White proudly proclaimed, and I quote, we always go overboard with health and safety, and that's what we're going to do here, end quote. Despite the lip service, the UFC did not test any of the athletes for the COVID-19 virus, which honestly seems like a really, really fucking dumb thing to do. Let's keep in mind that even if the fighters and the camps themselves might call it a day after this event, the UFC event staff travels all over the world, setting up cards and making sure that the fights go off smoothly. The next UFC is taking place on March 21st, and the location has yet to be determined. Same with the next card on March 28th. That means that even if the fighters might not have been in contact with anyone that has the coronavirus in their gym, the UFC staff themselves might be infected and not even know it. I get it. Those testing kits are expensive, and God forbid you have to have a fight fall through at the last minute. Bellator 241 was supposed to take place on March 13th, the day before this card. Scott Coker and the rest of the Bellator MMA team decided to pull the plug and cancel the card. Scott Coker let the press know, quote, Just so you know, fighters were paid, officials were paid, cutmen were paid, all of the producers, the lighting guys, everybody got paid. Nobody was shortchanged. 
we want to make sure that everybody had what they thought they were going to get. Everybody gets to go home and be with their families now. End quote. There are tons of problems with Bellator as a promotion, and you don't need to look far for examples. Whether they're signing fighters that are way past their prime, or with little to no experience, the promotion has drawn plenty of criticism before. But if they can recognize a bad situation and say, hey, maybe this isn't the best idea at the moment, the UFC should really reconsider how they're planning events. Shortly after this event wrapped up, Dana White made an appearance on ESPN SportsCenter and doubled down on the UFC's plan to move forward. He said, quote, unless there's a total shutdown of the country where people can't leave their houses and things like that, these fights will happen. We're going to move on. These guys will compete. We will find venues and we will figure this thing out. I mean, the only thing that's going to stop us is a complete government shutdown where everybody is confined to their homes, end quote. In case you were wondering, this is what unchecked capitalism looks like. What crystal ball does Dana White have that the NBA, MLB, NFL, NHL, MLS, and Bellator doesn't? All the other sporting leagues and several boxing promoters decided that the risk was too great, and exposing their athletes, event staffers, and personnel was too much. How about this? Bob Arum, chairman of Top Rank Boxing and oftentimes rival of Dana White, cited the lack of proper available testing kits as a reason for canceling boxing cards in New York. Arum has never met a boxer that he couldn't exploit or take advantage of, and even he couldn't justify putting on a fight. What the fuck is the UFC thinking? It doesn't take a genius to realize that if a camera guy catches the coronavirus, and flies back to Vegas for the next card, the entire company is in jeopardy, and people can die. It's not an hyperbole to say White could have blood on his hands. The UFC talks a big game about how they're going to compete with all the major sports leagues, but then they go ahead and pull some shit like this. Professional sports leagues exist to promote their respective organization and showcase the highest professional competitions between teams all across the country and sometimes the world. They also happen to make a lot of money and will put making a lot of it over the health and safety of their athletes. If even they realize that this pandemic is a real threat, the UFC should follow suit. I understand that the four major sports leagues have some form of union or players associations that gives their athletes a say while the UFC is notorious for trying to squash any form of unionizing. However, just for appearance sake, just to get a seat at the table with the big boys, shouldn't the UFC try to do things right and postpone events? Before I get carried away, let's talk about the fight itself. Leading up to the fight, Lee missed weight and came in at 158.5 pounds. Much was made of Lee's move to TriStar, and how the discipline he showed in the Gillespie fight could be the turning point. Unfortunately, this match showed that despite all the potential in the world, Lee still makes mental mistakes that cost him victories, especially when it comes to having the spotlight shown on him. In the Gillespie fight, Lee showed a return to his jab, 
keeping Gillespie at a distance and following up with the right straight to make sure he was upright. He mixed up straights to the body and pressured Gillespie beautifully. The jabs and straight were still present in the fight against Oliveira, but they were few and far between. Oliveira and his team made sure to study Lee and threw a barrage of kicks as usual. This is no surprise as his striking base is Muay Thai, and he prefers to either keep you all the way out or all the way in. Lee looked surprised at the flying knees and kicks that came his way, although he shouldn't have been, given all the footage that's available on Oliveira. A close first round saw Lee and Oliveira trade strikes on the feet and for an extended period on the ground. It seemed like a repeat of the Michael Chiesa fight for Lee, one where he would go sub for sub with another lanky grappler and snatch up a choke with his superior strength. Oliveira did a good job of ending his combinations with kicks in classic Ernesto Hoos style. Round 2 saw Lee exert more control in his ground game, and he kept Oliveira on his back for most of the period. Before he was able to score a takedown, it was Oliveira who was piecing Lee up with punches, scoring nice uppercuts and straights, stunning Lee and forcing him to take the fight down. When Lee is the one controlling the grappling exchanges, he looks smooth, combining elements of strong top control with the nice guard passing game. He didn't tripod as much this time around, showing an improvement in his ground control game. Leg locks and heel hooks kept Lee from wildly smashing Oliveira, and Oliveira looked stuck at times. Even though he was the more renowned grappler, it looked as if he was the one who wanted the fight stood up. Soon enough, he got his wish. When round 3 began, Lee came out aggressive to set the tone. Unfortunately, one of his old habits emerged and he shot in on a takedown that was essentially bait. In the preview, I talked about how one of the ways Oliveira could win was to get Lee shooting in too quickly on takedowns after he eats a strike. He did this against Francisco Trinaldo, Tony Ferguson, and now Oliveira. A submission whiz like Oliveira doesn't mind throwing kicks constantly, especially against wrestlers, since this means that they could force a takedown that's not done with timing, but as a panic response. Lee has proven susceptible to this, and Oliveira took full advantage. After the tap, Lee was criticized for trying to continue wrestling Oliveira down. It looked like Lee was out and reflexively tapped, then came back and didn't remember. It's not too different from being knocked out and not remembering being knocked out. The win puts Oliveira on a 7-fight win streak, all by finishes. Even though he wants the winner of the Habib versus Ferguson fight, there are others who might feel like they should get the shot first. Justin Gaethje has been vocal about being next, and it's hard to deny his string of finishes. It appears as if Dan Hooker and Dustin Poirier are going to duke it out next. This leaves some interesting possibilities for Oliveira. He can try for rematches against Paul Felder and Donald Cerrone, hoping to avenge his most recent loss in Felder and his first TKO loss in Cerrone. An unlikely possibility could be Conor McGregor. So far, McGregor has only one victory in the past four years, and although it gives McGregor a chance to steal some of Oliveira's momentum, the opportunity for Oliveira to get a win over such a big name is intriguing. For Lee, he stated post-fight that he might take a few years off. Physically, he has all the tools to be one of the best in the lightweight division, 
but there might be something lacking in his mental prep and jujitsu game that's keeping him from reaching the top. When athletes say they need some time off, we should be respectful of that. Lee is still young and can make a career turnaround, and having some time to recalibrate could do wonders for him. As for the UFC, they just lost a Tyron Woodley versus Leon Edwards fight. Although a specific reason wasn't given, it appears that the travel ban is having an effect on the card. The card was originally supposed to take place at the O2 Arena in London, but the UFC decided to shift the card entirely to Vegas. Even before the card lost its main event, there was an internal memo that Ariel Hawani shared which showed the UFC openly asking managers and reps if they have fighters under contract from bantamweight to welterweight who wants a short notice fight. Even if they aren't technically current UFC fighters, UFC veterans and new faces will do. The reason for this? Out of the 13 scheduled fights, 9 of them were cancelled. The rest? Unknown status. But hey, fights have to be made and broadcasts have to go on, right? The UFC has claimed to have the best fighters in the world, but looking at the strategy of essentially begging for anyone that could strap on gloves and is already stateside proves that maybe, just maybe, they don't know what they're doing. What they should do is compensate the fighters, the staff, and anyone who has already made plans to work for this event. Same with the card on March 28th. Seeing as how the UFC has conducted business in the past, that's unlikely. COVID-19 is terrible, but it has done a great job of exposing the weaknesses in America's healthcare and workforce. It also seems to be doing the same for the UFC. Now that's the show. We've grown Southpaw purely from word of mouth, so that means it's all organic. So if you're already spreading the word, please continue to do so. If you've never done it, please consider telling your friends, sharing on social media, and also leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. This will make it easier for others to find us. And since this is independent media, every dollar you pledge on Patreon goes a long way in the production of the show and will help us expand with more content on more platforms. Show your Southpaw solidarity by supporting us at patreon.com slash southpawpod. Until next time, goodbye.